Welcome to ED ECMO. Welcome. Welcome to ED ECMO. This is ED ECMO. Hello, ED ECMO. It's Zach Schneider, live from Paris, France, where we just finished the Save a Life Conference Paris Rescue Course with uh, Lionel and Alice, and it was amazing. They did a fantastic job. So many great people. Uh, got to meet people from all over that are doing ECMO, that are uh, trudging away, making new strides in different countries. And um, yeah, people from all over Europe, Denmark and Germany and and people from uh, Barcelona, the whole crew was out. So it was a great time. And, and so this, this month, I just wanted to do a real quick episode. And, um, and actually, before I started... I, uh, I had some realization while we were in this conference, and that is just a look back on some of the ways that ECMO could have completely failed. I mean, you look at how, you look at what has happened, you look at the, the massive increase in the use of eCPR, VV ECMO for COVID, but it wasn't that long ago. I mean, you look at the mid-80s, we had not too far off technology than what we have right now. And this was a complete fail that this never moved forward. And it took us another 30 years, 20 years to, to realize the power of ECMO. And, uh, and I think even within this last 10 years, there have been several places where you just see that a little bit of momentum shift a different direction, and we might not be where we're at today. And alternatively, you could argue that if there was a little bit more momentum shift in certain directions, that we might be a lot further along. Anyway, the, the reason that I brought this up is when I was with Lionel, I just recognized that, um, that there have been some people who dedicated so much of their life and had to go through some pretty hard times for us to be where we are. And I will say Lionel is one of them. If you know his story at all, he has not had a perfect, you know, fairy tale story getting all the pre-hospital ECPR established in Paris. In fact, there there was initially times when people were calling him murderer, that what he was doing to people in the field was unacceptable. There have been several examples of where the program was going to get shut down, where this didn't make sense financially. And, and Lionel kept on. Pierre Carly kept on. Alice kept on. I mean, these people stood in the face of, of giants, of governments, of organizations much more powerful than they were, and refused to say this was a failed experiment. And so I think we do owe some thanks to people around the world who have sacrificed quite a bit of time and quite a bit of, of just mental stamina to push us over the edge to the point where now it's kind of a no-brainer. Like eCPR works. We, we know that. We know we need to organize. We know we need to do certain things well. But eCPR works. All right, so that's point number one. Point number two is about an editorial that uh, Alice and I actually put out just a few weeks ago. It was about a great paper out of Germany that came out um, in resuscitation dealing with pulmonary embolism. And it talked about 
should we do ECMO for people in pulmonary embolism? And to kind of cut to the chase, the patients who were in cardiac arrest did much better if they got ECMO. The patients who were not in cardiac arrest, kind of plus or minus, kind of hard to say, um, and maybe a little bit of, of tilt towards negative. So the implications of this are big. This is a big, big registry trial, 2,000 ECMO patients in this trial. Uh, I think there is some implications of this, and one of them is in our inclusion criteria. Currently, a lot of places are using VFVT as their inclusion criteria, and obviously that's going to exclude a lot of pulmonary embolism patients. And so if you look at the breakdown as far as you know what types of cardiac arrest there are, if you do it real roughly, a quarter of them are VFVT, a quarter of them are PE, and 50% are asystole. And so if you're only using VFET, this is a relatively small subset of a small subset. Cardiac arrests are not that frequent in general anyway. So I would argue that this study, along with other evidence, so in this study I'll, I'll just make a few other comments, which is that they did show subgroup analysis was better in people that got embolectomy after their eCPR. That has been kind of reapproved or reaffirmed um, in uh, another trial that recently came out. Uh, and so, but within all of that, we have this subset of patients that potentially could benefit from getting this invasive procedure and are being excluded by the inclusion criteria in many hospitals. So, do we take all PEA patients? Well, probably not. Do we take pseudo-PEA patients? Well, the answer is probably yes. That patient is not actually in cardiac arrest. But there is this in-between patient, and that patient is the one where we don't have great idea of how to di diagnose, about how to assess their chance of survival. And so you kind of have to look at other risk factors and maybe make some judgment call. And this is an area ripe for some further research. Let's include PEA. Let's be P uh, uh, institutions that can look at this and say, we're not going to just carte blanche exclude patients with PEA. We're going to say, well, this is a high chance of PE. This is a salvageable patient. No, they didn't have VFET, but eCPR can be beneficial for those patients. Now, you know I'm not going to stop there. I also believe that there's a subset of asystole patients that could benefit from this, but that's a whole other conversation. All right, take-homes for this month, real quick session. First, we need to appreciate people who did some of the heavy lifting in this movement towards eCPR, and Lionel is certainly one of the biggest on that list. Number two, pulmonary embolism benefits from eCPR. Now that's patients in cardiac arrest when we're talking about VA ECMO for PE that are causing shock. Maybe not as much. We'll still have to uh, look further into this. Again, we have no randomized controlled trial in this, a, a place where this would be right for this as well, especially when you consider 10% of patient mortality is secondary to pulmonary embolism. But a take home for this would be that we should be thinking about increasing our inclusion increasing it to pulmonary embolism, and particularly some of these PEA patients that might have good prognosis. And with that, signing off.